Welcome to the F1 Strategy Report for Twiwind, the Twitter time shifter. On this week's edition, the Malaysian Grand Prix, Jolian Palmer ceases to be pointless, and should Max Verstappen have won this race? That's all to come in this edition of the Strategy Report. My name's Michael Laminato, and it's a different kind of Malaysia this year. It's at a different time of year. There's less rain. I don't know if that has anything to do with it being at a different time of the year, but let's say it does because this is the strategy report and that would qualify as strategy. Joining me to have a look at whether or not that's strategy, he's from the Super License podcast. His name is Rodney Gordon. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Michael. Thank you for having me on on this joyous occasion. Another Australian victory. We're going to try and have to be, uh, we'll have to try not to be too biased today. Well, not too biased. I was going to say this is the, it's what an occasion to have another Australian on the show, but I feel like I do that more often than not, probably. So, but nonetheless, <laughs> we'll say we got you on especially because we do have another Australian winner. It's Daniel. It's the same one we had two years ago, but it's the first time we won this year. Daniel Ricardo's won again. It's been a long time between drinks, and by drinks, I mean cold champagne from a very, very hot shoe. <laughs> and by long time, we mean actually, I think he did it two races ago last race because <laughs> he just didn't know if he was going to win any. So, hey, who's yeah, it's a bit weird. It's a winning champagne, though. He said he'd do it the next time he won, and I mean, he was true to his form. Yeah, he doesn't lie. There's one thing we can say, he doesn't lie, mm-hmm. and sometimes wins some races. So he's just a good old round uh, <laughs> Aussie bloke, is Daniel Ricciardo. The Malaysian Grand Prix was actually quite an interesting race, considering if we go back to Friday and Saturday, Mercedes seemed to have everything under control, all the pace under control, by far the fastest car. Uh, but in the end, we had a, a what a strategically interesting race, even if a lot of it ended up being what if. Uh, first of all, this was an important race for the championship. I want to get your take on on this, first of all, because Hamilton, as we'll get to shortly, uh, retired from this race. Rosberg now has a 23-point lead, I think my maths is right in saying. Yes, correct. He's got five races. Is Was that engine blow-up a blow-up also of his title chances, do you think? Look, I think, uh, I mean, everyone expected this to be the race that Hamilton came out, just had a flawless weekend, and it was certainly looking that way until about the two-thirds uh, of the of, of point of the race. And, uh, I mean, yeah, the script was written for him to bounce back and win the next four or five races and become a very, very worthy world champion who has had a very, very tough year. Having said that, Nico Rosberg has just had a, a nice, quiet, tidy little <laughs> little year. Won races when he needed to. He's had a few missteps, but so has Hamilton. And I know that uh, one of our, our colleagues and peers and friends of the show, James Allen, wrote an article recently about, is Rosberg a worthy champion? Obviously, at this point, you'd have to say Hamilton will be the underdog winner if he wins. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Rosberg now with a 23-point lead. And don't forget, he's turned around a lead that Hamilton had of 19 points not that long ago after leading himself by 40 points. So, I mean, this is, this is seesawed so many times you'd be a fool to predict which way it's definitely going to go for sure mm-hmm. I'm just hoping that it goes right down to the final race and we actually get a fantastic head-to-head battle in Abu Dhabi this is what we've all been wanting mm-hmm. so I'm actually hoping that um, I mean I'm hoping that, that Hamilton can win a few back and it just starts to tighten up again a little bit has he thrown the championship away certainly not I mean the next race Rosberg could blow up Hamilton could win and it could all be swung around on its head again this is a, a this is quite a merry-go-round that run yeah absolutely it's a very fast one and uh, sometimes it makes you a little bit sick that's usually <laughs> just when there's no competition I'm looking at you Sochi oh, uh, this all What's fascinating, though, we talk about wanting this head-to-head battle. We haven't really had one between the Mercedes drivers at all, have we? We've had all these great battles this season, whether in the midfield or we even Mm. had a pretty good one uh, between the (laughs) Red Bull racing drivers today. 
But when, even when it looked like we were about to get one at turn two, and this is, of course, where the race started, Rosberg got punted down to, to 21. I, it's, it's, we're probably going to have to wait till Abu Dhabi, till to, to a title showdown, to actually get these guys on the track at the same time. Yeah, you're right. The, the, the battles that we've had between Hamilton and Rosberg this year have usually lasted something between the range of one to two corners mm. before one of them either crashes out or they <laughs> crash into each other or something like that. Uh, and this race, yeah, we saw that uh, Verstappen and Vettel were just uh, trying to have a little bit of a go each go at each other and I mean I think it turns out after the race that Vettel's actually been slapped with a, a penalty yeah. for his for his part mm-hmm. and I felt that he'd broke way too late and I just think it's a concern when you're going into that sort of tight right hand corner and you hit the guy who's on the outside <laughs> line like that probably means you weren't breaking quite enough uh, especially when you you've braked and hit the guy next to you and you still hit the guy in front of you. Mm. That's sort of a sign to me that you're you're not necessarily in full control of your car. I know that wasn't the popular uh, theory during the race, but certainly the stewards saw it that way after the race. And I feel quietly uh, vindicated there. Not totally dissimilar to Fiat's move in, not Russia, that was a much worse move, <laughs> uh, Ru- uh, China. A similar move to yes. China where he sort of dived down the inside and caused the two guys on the outside to crash. So I don't know how uh, aggrieved he might uh, be able to feel well, after getting, I think it was three grid places for the Japanese Grand Prix. Except on that occasion, Kvyat, I'm pretty sure Kvyat didn't even cause any collision. Oh, he didn't make contact with anyone in that in that case. Yeah, actually, no, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so this was much worse. So, I mean, <laughs> it sort of shows that those moves are possible, but you just have to control the slide. You just have to break mm. early enough that you're in control. And I think I think Vettel was just keen to get in front of Verstappen, especially because it was Verstappen. Yeah. I mean, these are these are the two guys now who are like, you have to beat Verstappen to, uh, to sort of prove your mettle, I guess, or to, to prove your worth or whatever because Verstappen's the new uh, you know the poster boy of Formula 1 at the moment beat him and you're the kingmaker <laughs> you are the if you beat Max Verstappen Max Verstappen being the new Sebastian Vettel you become the new Sebastian Vettel so yeah. Sebastian Vettel really just wanted to become Sebastian Vettel again he just wants to put an end to all the identity crisis that he's going through basically <laughs> It's a very hard life for Sebastian Vettel, especially when you think he's Max Verstappen. <laughs> One of the things that was really the talking point going into this weekend was the fact that the Sepang International Circuit uh, has been completely resurfaced. And in fact, some of the corners have even been reprofiled. The phrase negative camber has been thrown around far more than mm. makes me comfortable because it's good it just phrase. means the corner is a little bit off. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, the tarmac, though, is completely different profile. It's a tarmac we're increasingly seeing in Formula 1. It's, it's a darker one. It's a smoother one. Uh, it means there's less degradation. Uh, this one offered more grip than the old one but because the old one was really quite old. But what was fascinating is that after qualifying, so after everyone had gotten all their data for this new surface, the possibility of a one-stop race became a thing and that's so strange to consider about Malaysia Malaysia a race that's always been two to three stops because it's always so hot wears down the tyres that's why we have the hardest compounds available I, I mean it feels weird that I should be sitting here talking about well oh, do we like this tarmac or not it's a bit weird but I increasingly with Formula 1 circuits going this way, way whether it be Sochi or Azerbaijan it's if all races are one stop it's kind of a bit defeats the purpose, doesn't it? It does a little bit, especially for strategy junkies like you, yourself, <laughs> and myself, and the listeners. Um, I mean, tires have become, you know, one of the best parts of Formula One this year, and and, and the the varying strategies have really reinvigorated the sport in many ways. To sort of think that we have one less uh, stra- one less track where that makes as big of a difference mm-hmm. as it does, it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a well, it's, just, it's I don't want to say it brings a tear to my eye, <laughs> but I just feel like we we keep we keep making steps in the wrong direction 
in Formula One. And then when we roll them back and, and correct those errors that we've made, we pat ourselves on the back and congratulate ourselves. <laughs> so, um, I mean, we also mentioned too, uh, you and I mentioned earlier, how it, it very frequently rains in Malaysia. I don't know how it didn't rain today. Mm. I've got rain here in Melbourne today. I mean, I think we got Malaysia's weather or something, but uh, somehow the combination of a smooth, non-degrading track with... Uh, a place where it rains frequently i just it just doesn't really it doesn't really fill me with optimism it seems like a really strange choice maybe there's secret plans for even more bizarre uh, tire compounds that we don't know about Mike. Mm, i'm looking forward to the uber soft tire uh, as we progressively mm. get softer and softer i've been spruiking those for a long time mm, absolutely we'll wait and see if that <laughs> improves the situation as all the tracks just get smoother and less interesting but i mean we'll wait and see the track obviously has to age has a couple of years maybe maybe it'll get better like a fine wine of yeah, yeah. <laughs> an asphalty wine i love it mm, it's got yeah. a lot of, that's a bit of grit to it and yeah. a real dirty taste yeah so many tannins love those tannins <laughs> <laughs> so that was the expectation after qualifying there were a couple of drivers nico hulkenberg in particular who i'll note actually ended up doing a three-stop race but when he was asked uh after qualifying whether a one-stop was possible his response was it will be easy that was his quote <laughs> easy wasn't easy for him, but there were a couple of drivers who did find it easy to at least do fewer stops. But let's start at the very beginning of this strategy race. Mm-hmm. The question was really whether or not Red Bull could make mm-hmm. good use of the soft tyre they saved during qualifying. Mm-hmm. They opted to qualify into Q2 on the medium tyre rather than the soft, which meant they had a new uh, soft tyre to potentially do something like a soft, soft, hard strategy or any strategy they really cared for. <laughs> but it's sort of boiled down to actually them realizing that because the one stop was possible Hamilton and Ricardo went on to the hard in their first stint and Verstappen went on to the soft so they split their strategies which was really interesting and as we know that normally creates a lot of tension in the middle of the team and knowing Verstappen's history at Toro Rosso do you think tension was the way they should have been going it was an interesting interesting ploy that's for sure and I mean it's 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 something they've been trying to pull off for a while because we've seen them try to save soft tyres during qualifying and, I mean, no one's really been too sure what they've been playing at other than just, you know, having new soft tyres mm-hmm. rather than used ones. We sort of saw a bit of it in Singapore, I think, where they just leave themselves an option <laughs> where they can pit at the end, throw on the soft tyres and just try and tear the track apart with those, with that, with this, some speedy laps, mm-hmm. some sexy laps, <laughs> if you will, and try to, try to just, just roll the dice, just give themselves some options. It was interesting, though, that Verstappen and, uh, and Ricardo split the strategy Obviously, the virtual safety car near the start of the race sort of might have helped them a little bit with that. They might have also thought that um, with Verstappen being involved in that first corner incident, even though he outqualified Ricardo, that they, they might have felt like, well, we kind of owe this guy the chance a mm-hmm. little bit just to, to right the wrongs because he clearly has a pace. Um, I mean, as it turned out, you know, especially towards the end, that was where, uh, you know, the, the key decisions were made. The key defending moves were made by Ricardo. The decisions were made, uh, you know, to, to pit him during the, the, the later safety car, which which obviously was involved uh, in move involved revolved around moving Hamilton's car off the track. Um, by the time Ricardo pitted, then uh, Verstappen was was kind of up the creek because if he if he stayed out, Ricardo probably would have chased him down. If he pitted, well, he's on the same tires now as Ricardo till the end of the race. So sorry. In fact, he had used tires at the end of the race because he had to go out in uh, in Q1 and do an extra mm-hmm. couple of laps. It wasn't a time lap; it was just a just a little dalliance, just a little <laughs> flaunt, a, a little flirt. So um, I mean, yeah, it didn't really work out today for Verstappen. It, we, he'll probably look back and say, "Oh, geez, I wish I wish I could have done better." But you're, if if you remember in um if you remember in Barcelona when Ricardo was in front mm-hmm. through strategy fell back 
and uh, Verstappen took the win. You could just see on his face that Ricardo felt like he should have won, and he was really dirty on the team. Mm-hmm. This week, though, Verstappen finishes second, qualified ahead of his teammate. The two Mercedes drivers are out of the way. He didn't really seem like the kind of guy who felt like he deserved the win and it slipped through his fingers. He just seemed pretty happy and complacent with it, happy with the result for the team, probably the best he could have done, and he was at peace with that. So that might have been a sign that he didn't really feel like it was on. It's an interesting point. I'll pick that up in a minute because I think there's a little bit more to be expected on exactly how this race unfolded just to go back to the Red Bull racing strategy we have actually seen as you pointed out in Spain and that's that's a particularly good example that it's a team that is really willing to split its strategies use its two drivers because it's it's coming at it from I guess a, a team perspective mm. it compares really uh, starkly with the way Mercedes goes about racing most of the time in in which they tend to give their drivers the same strategies because they're trying to be really even-handed now mm. this partnership's really new between Ricardo and Verstappen but it has all the hallmarks of a really great one a really successful one or they're very successful drivers anyway do you feel like that's going to become a risk over time in the way that the the Mercedes partnerships almost become untenable if you give them different (laughs) strategies I think a few people have pointed out that it's it's easy to 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 stay upbeat to stay positive when you know the driver's title is not on the line Mm, and uh, I mean I mean things could easily change and I mean I'm sure people thought that uh, that Weber and Vettel were probably going to get on better than they ended up getting on with and uh, uh, well, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that the first year that, that Red Bull can claim a Constructors' Championship with this lineup, that might be the, the, the last time that the drivers get on very well because they'll say, <laughs> well, we've, done the, we've achieved this for the team now and now the team needs mm-hmm. to pay us back. Ricardo's already been talking about, I feel like I probably should have had at least one driver championship for, for the years mm-hmm. that I've been at Red Bull. And it's like, wow, really? That's, that's, that's ambitious. So we know that he's, he's setting his sights high. That's mm. all I'm saying. Yeah, no, it's fair. It's a fair call. So we, I think that'll come to a head sooner rather than later too, given that, and granted this time last year, everyone expected Ferrari would build a challenging car this year. But everyone at the moment is expecting Red Bull yeah. Racing to build a challenging car for next season. So maybe that'll come to a head next season and we'll find out. Can I ask you something, Michael, though? Why do, why do you think it is that Verstappen's usually the one who is given the, the softer tyres earlier in the race to see if he can put his pace to good use? Do you think he's just genuinely better at managing his tyres than Ricardo, or is that just a bit of a misnomer? I, th- I mean, it's interesting because he wasn't always known for managing his tyres that well. He's had races where he has managed his tyres really well, and races where he hasn't as well. I think it's a bit I, we, we normally point we can point to this race now and we can particularly point to the Spanish Grand Prix earlier in the year yes but in both of these situations it's because Verstappen has even if he'd qualified better here fallen onto the back foot and so he'd stopped becoming I think the principal focus now R- Ricardo was very clearly focused on Hamilton uh, whereas Verstappen was focused getting back into the top three and then maybe challenging it's kind of like Abu Dhabi 2010 where Fernando Alonso's engineers were fo- so focused on Mark Webber they forgot that if Sebastian Vettel won the race he'd win the championship that's exactly what happened it's just stranger yeah it would happen almost twice it definitely happened in Spain almost happened here where Verstappen's been given what was assumed to be kind of the B strategy and then (laughs) accidentally in Spain won the Grand Prix and here sort of made a mess of everything so yeah, it, it is interesting. I don't know that it's... I think it's, yeah, just purely the fact that in these situations he sort of ended up a bit on the back foot rather than mm. any inherent uh, difference in the way he handles his tyres. But I don't know, if it happens more, then maybe 
there there is a question to ask whether they do approach strategies based on driver technique rather than the race itself. But I think that's my take on it. I mean, uh, unless you have a, a Hamilton-esque no, no. conspiracy to put forward. <laughs> Dare I not? I have enough conspiracy you know, issues of <laughs> myself. I have enough people coming after me for my already <laughs> crazy theories that I can't afford anymore. <laughs> it's a safe call. That's fair <laughs> enough. If we do look, it was Ricardo versus Hamilton in the early stages of the race. They both switched onto that hard tyre. Yeah. It's interesting to note that from that point on, even though Ricardo seemed to have worse tyre wear on that hard tyre, it seemed like he was committed to doing a one-stop from there, whereas Hamilton, Paddy Lowe since said, was definitely going to stop again. And this is where the would-have race hinged mm. on, because... Yeah. Had Hamilton stopped again, and this is all granted at lap 41 when his engine failed, there were more laps still to go at that point, obviously. He didn't have enough of a gap over Verstappen to pit and still end up ahead of the Red Bull racing cars. How do you feel like this could have unfolded? Because that would have put Hamilton in a situation where he had to chase. And the Mercedes car is very good, obviously, but Verstappen was already chasing Ricardo. Ricardo committed to a one-stop, would have had to defend against two faster cars. Hmm. I feel like this race actually could have gone Verstappen's way and not just Hamilton's way automatically. I think this actually could be, upon reflection, we talk about Verstappen dealing with the second place quite happily because you know he, he, he wasn't necessarily in contention for the win. But I think on reflection, he might think that he could have won this race had Hamilton's engine not exploded. I guess, uh, I mean, we heard a lot of talk that Verstappen was not going to pit again. That was that was the clear situation. So the, the situation mm-hmm. then became, what can Hamilton do? Um, I remember that when uh, Verstappen pitted, he came out and like, you know, he had a, an early pit stop. And then uh, when the leaders pitted, he found himself in front by a little bit. But when he pitted, he was about 16 seconds behind mm-hmm. Hamilton. And then uh, Hamilton... Obviously, they made the the decision. You're going to push, chew up these tires, burn off a little bit of fuel, have some fun, Mm -hmm. and then we're going to pit you and run to the end. And that's what he seemed to be doing. He pulled out a gap of another five seconds to get to that around that 21-second mark. So that shows that Hamilton still had pace in the car, pace in his pocket that he could pull out, even when Verstappen was, you know, know, on fresh tires. Um, And I think that even if they had pitted Mm -hmm. and Hamilton was a couple of seconds behind Verstappen, I mean... I don't know. My gut tells me that Hamilton would have had him for breakfast. So I I think that um, I'm just not sure that Verstappen's strategy worked the way he needed it to. I'm not saying that a three-stop strategy wouldn't have, or a two-stop mm-hmm. strategy, the way Verstappen played it, wasn't going to be a very competitive strategy. I'm just not sure that the position that he was in versus Hamilton would have been enough to get him in front. Look, I mean, we we could cut this thing a hundred million ways. <laughs> I, I I think at the end of the day, Verstappen was probably looking at second or third, so he'll be happy with second. Mm. That's my take. <laughs> I think that's fair. I mean, that's uh, it is valid because it is it is essentially a what if scenario, and we can't know for sure. We do know the Mercedes was definitely the faster car. We do know that it was building a gap on the Red Bull cars, but also that Verstappen was closing in. I think he was setting of the top three the faster lap times at that point. But as you say, if Hamilton knew he was going to stop again, uh, it could very easily just have been him sort of throwing caution to the wind on the tyres because he knew he he had the safety of an extra set Uh, ultimately none of that came to pass as we said (laughs) Hamilton's power unit uh, exploded he screamed actually it was interesting that we talk a lot about uh, it being Mercedes sponsors home crowd there's a lot Mm. of cheering in the crowd I noticed which is uh, how did I take it whichever way you want (laughs) but the final act of this race was actually Ricardo versus Verstappen Mm, now on lap 41 of all the people who were having having an unhappy time whether it be Lewis Hamilton Toto Wolff who looked like (laughs) he didn't look happy at all his house had bought down he he looked like he'd lost a a major asset (laughs) or lost a huge financial deal or something because it was just an engine 
it exploding. It does happen from time no, they, to time. They're not cheap, Michael. Uh, but it was Christian Horner who I envied the least because he now had two drivers who were battling and one of them at a, at a major disadvantage <laughs> because he was on a one-stop. Verstappen, do you feel, would have a right to be aggrieved, at least here, notwithstanding what we've already talked about, because he'd reached the, the logical conclusion of his strategy, which is that he would pass a car on a one-stop race. Do you feel like, at least here, he might have felt a little bit unhappy to have finished behind Ricardo because they were both pitted to be equalised in performance? I think there were some radio messages from Verstappen uh, along the lines of, how am I looking? Where, where am I looking? Like, where am I going to Where am I gonna finish? Where, where, where? Tell me about the race. Tell me <laughs> where I am in regards to, the, to everyone else in regards to the race. It, it sounded like they passed him a message that said, look, getting finishing ahead of Hamilton is looking a bit unlikely and he seems cool with that. Mm-hmm. He seemed less cool when the message came that you know you may also not uh, beat Ricardo. I think that his goal was Ricardo. That was mm-hmm. that was what he was driving to. Those are the, the deltas that he was driving to. Let me finish in front of Ricardo. That's my my number one goal. If I can win, that's the cherry on top of the cake. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, look, I mean. Again, I don't feel after the race Verstappen seemed in himself like, you know, there was a big opportunity missed. The team seems... Well, obviously, the team's happy. Um, (laughs) That's just just infection. When I say that Ricardo's joy is infectious, I'm not just talking about possible germs that were passed from his shoe (laughs) to people's mouths, but I'm also just talking about, you know, there's only been two non-Mercedes victories so far this year, and they happen to have them both. So, of course, they're going to be happy. But, um, yeah, I, I just don't... I just don't see it. I just don't see Verstappen doing any better than second. So would he be a great... I mean, I think the concerning thing for me is Verstappen's position in the team. And I put out on Twitter a quick poll. Hey, Verstappen fans, are you a little bit upset that maybe Verstappen hasn't been let loose this year the way we maybe thought he might have? Because mm-hmm. we know in we know in Toro Rosso, he didn't suffer fools gladly. And they told him to let, him, let his teammate through and he wouldn't. Uh, he threw tantrums. He said, I demand the best. And I think when he went to, to Red Bull, everyone expected maybe there to be big fireworks, the big clash of egos. Mm-hmm. And really, we've had nothing... We've had nothing but the opposite. Other than Ricardo being upset at the team that they didn't give him the opportunities uh, to, to convert his, his qualifying positions or his race positions into wins, uh, that the two guys have got on famously, and there doesn't seem to be any tension. So I, I, I'm a bit um, I'm a bit worried that we're not seeing the fiery win at all costs, make no friends, take no prisoners, <laughs> Max Verstappen, that we were promised in his early career. By that I mean last year. Yeah, <laughs> in his formative years. 10 months ago. Yes. Uh, it is it is it's an interesting point you make and it was noted by a couple of people this evening actually that Verstappen was that aggressive guy mm. even his his dad was at Toro Rosso because there was so much I guess on the line they clearly had the goal of getting to Red Bull racing at all costs yes. so they made themselves a bit of a nuisance until it <laughs> happened. But since getting to Red Bull racing I guess he's reached his conclusion, at least for this stage of his career, and he's become a team player. And I suppose it's kind of like you touched on earlier in the year. So long as they know the championship's not on the line, everyone gets along. Everyone's happy. <laughs> you know, you win a race. We all know that Mercedes is much faster than everybody else. So, you know, you take them where you can get them. And oh, it's nice. You finish on the podium, you drink champagne out of the shoe. The world is great. <laughs> but it will be interesting when we do get to that phase where someone's going to win a championship. It's going to be one of the Red Bull racing drivers then it's sort of all to play for man against 
this man then what do we see out of Max Verstappen do we see that Toro Rosso version yes. of him? I mean, that's going to be fascinating I guess there's also been, there's been a bit of a question mark over Verstappen in the last four so three or four months he's questionable defensive moves uh, obviously he's an exciting overtaker he's, he's, he's a fierce defender there's been a bit of a question mark over whether he's truly going to become the quality driver that we all know he could be if he keeps developing at the rate that he has been developing at he might be just glad to say look I might not have won but I I can deliver I can mm-hmm. be the guy who comes in second I can drive the solid races uh, today wasn't my day but there will be days that are my day and I'm going to show you all what I can do on those days that might be his mindset at the moment he, he knows that his day is going to come he knows that he sort of has a little bit of a he's got some reparations to do on his on his reputation as well I will talk about those drivers who, who won on a uh, not won on a one mm. stop but those drivers who competed well on a one stop in just a moment but we do have to touch on Rosberg and Raikkonen Rosberg who finished on the podium to score 15 points to extend that championship lead and Kimi Raikkonen who finished fourth is the only Ferrari to finish the race uh, it, it all hinged on Rosberg's move on uh, close to lap 41 just before uh, Lewis Hamilton's engine exploded he got penalised 10 seconds it ultimately meant nothing because he finished <laughs> more than 10 seconds ahead of Kimi Raikkonen in fourth what was your take on that move? Um, for what it's worth my take on that move was that the penalty was completely uncalled for and uh, I mean, I my my feeling is that the gap was there. Rosberg went for it. Yes, it was aggressive. Yes, he got his elbows out. But again, I mean, we've been you know we've been waiting years and years to see this version of Rosberg. We've mm-hmm. seen it a few times this year. This aggressive Rosberg, the guy who isn't happy with fourth place, the guy that does fight for the podium or the second place or the win. We've wanted to see this Rosberg for a long time. Um, so I'm glad that he wasn't happy with fourth place. I'm glad that that he uh, you know he was pushing. And I think the move itself. I mean, you could see it coming. I mean, Raikkonen should have seen it coming. And I I really feel, maybe it's just in his old age, he can't turn his neck fast enough to look in the mirrors. But I really feel that if Raikkonen had just not swerved into Rosberg and made contact, the stewards wouldn't have even looked at it and nothing would have happened. Mm -hmm. And I also think back to, um, I mean... I saw some replays where it looked like Rosberg had his wheels in front of Kimi's before there was even contact. So how you could say that he didn't have the line, I'm not sure. He made the corner easily. It wasn't like he outbroke himself or anything. Um, I I also think that you could think back to moves like from Max Verstappen in uh, Belgium where he he really squeezed hard up uh, between Kimi uh, at the end of the Kimmel straight and pushed Kimi off the track and it was was very aggressive. I thought it was very aggressive. I thought it probably deserved a penalty, but the stewards deemed it racing here I thought they might have deemed it racing and they've given Rosberg a penalty so I can't work this out at all Uh, there's been I mean look I I get accused for being a big Rosberg fan but I think there's been three or four overtakes that Rosberg has pulled off that were borderline you know questionable exceptional uh, acceptable but they all seem to be getting penalties so I mean you know I don't encourage anyone to to uh, to follow any conspiracy theories I don't I don't endorse that but I mean you know (laughs) he just doesn't seem to be in favour with the stewards at the moment I I think it's fair it's interesting that this move was penalised I guess it's the contact that did it but it is a a good point you raise especially in relation to turn 2 at Malaysia considering the way it comes off turn 1 is that you are sort of straight lining past the apex in the braking zone which means yeah where do you judge when is the car side by side and therefore entitled to space because in maybe a more conventional corner it would have been earlier but in a turn like that 
You know, I, I was a little bit surprised. Some people weren't, which then surprised me. But <laughs> I, it, it's interesting. It is interesting. And yeah, the stewards application, obviously the stewards are different uh, at pretty much every Grand Prix. So getting consistency is difficult. But I, I, I would agree that I think Rosberg has pulled off moods. He was probably entitled to pull off and was subsequently penalized. This being a, an example of Just what. whether you're a Rosberg fan or not, if you have four or five questionable or 50-50 line ball uh, overtakes and they all get penalized mm-hmm. you'd, you'd think that at least 50 percent of them you know he would he would get away with so i don't know i i, I worry that um that he'll put away these these you know fierce overtaking moves and just you know uh and, and not try and pull them off which no one wants to see that so i don't know what we do about these questions these problems michael mm-hmm. but uh, i mean i certainly i didn't agree with that one <laughs> i didn't agree with that steward's decision but it wasn't the first time we well, can move on <laughs> i'll touch briefly on Raikkonen and say that he did two middle stints on the hard tire which was the same amount of time ricardo spent on the hard tire so why he stopped that uh, second time to switch to new hards no one knows very strange that's classic ferrari isn't it oh, isn't confusing it calls. <laughs> isn't yeah, it though it really is so uh, they finished fourth. Uh, Vettel didn't finish at all. That's all we really need to say about Ferrari, I think. We can talk about drivers that did better by using better strategy. Like Valtteri Bottas, who did a single-stop race, started on the medium because he started just outside the top 10 in 11th, finished on the hard. It was 29 laps on the medium and the rest on, on the hard. He was a driver, actually, when asked uh, about Nico Hockenberg's view that it would be an easy one-stop race, literally laughed and then did a successful <laughs> one-stop race. So, I don't know how Formula 1 works anymore, but clearly Valtteri Bottas does and scored really good points for Williams. And it's uh, it's kind of long overdue because, you know, Force India have had the wood on them for a long time. So, I mean, they needed something crazy like uh, a one-stop strategy to, to give them some, some kind of advantage. Mm. Um, I mean, Perez stopped under the first safety car and Hulkenberg, did he stop under the first safety car as well? Yeah, he did. So, yeah. uh, I mean, they kind of made their bed and, I mean, Bottas must have been licking his lips at that point thinking, oh, I might be in for a shot here. Um, I mean, the fact that uh, Felipe Massa couldn't really make too much headway in that regard. Yeah, I mean, it's worrying signs. It means that it wasn't all the car. Mm-hmm. But most of it was the driver and the strategy. So well done, driver. Well done, strategist. <laughs> Good job. Uh, some well-earned points for uh, for Williams. It's a pity it was only one driver and not two. Mm, it's interesting because, yes, they did beat Force India because Bottas did start 11th and uh, Perez and Hulkenberg in the top 10 and Bottas leapfrogged them with this one-stop strategy. Uh, both Force Indias tried pretty much a similar strategy but they were forced to start on the soft pitted under the lap nine virtual safety car and then did the same uh, strategy they they were on the mediums then then stopped for the hards at about half distance and, and finished behind uh fernando alonso and jensen button for mclaren now button probably feel like he didn't get the most out of the car given he started in the top 10 alonso started last <laughs> alonso finished seventh and button ninth. that's the first yeah. double points finish for them since hungry i think it is. <laughs> so good result for the team but Man, when Alonso wants to, he's actually pretty good, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he put himself into the top 10 in the Drivers' Championship with this result. Oh. And, uh, I mean, it must be, it just must be so deflating when you're uh, a Hulkenberg mm-hmm. and you've you've started, you know, in the middle of the field or, or, or sort of up into his first four, five, six, uh, you know, lines on the grid and you get beaten by the guy that starts last. I mean, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Are you serious? But that's just the story of the Williams and, and Force India. They qualify as high as they can. They can't really 
really go anywhere. All they've got to do is go backwards. But yeah, it's 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 it. I mean, Fernando Alonso. I mean, he's really the guy who's out there driving. I and mean, we we all know that Button's. Mm-hmm. You know, Button won't be a frontline driver next year. He's really out there, just sort of doing what he can, having a good time, and just you know trying to do it with a smile on his face. But Alonso is the guy at the moment who is like. My, my career is at stake mm. here. I need this car to be good. I better make the most of it. And I better encourage the team to work even harder, stay later developing it, try some risky things, play some jazz, you know, just get experimental. <laughs> get experimental ups, with designing this car. <laughs> yeah. And if you do it, I will reward you with performance on the track. And mm. that's exactly what he's doing. It's worth pointing out here, obviously at the advantage of, of all new tyres like Sebastian Vettel did in Singapore, but Alonso is one of the few drivers to stop three times, uh, I guess in what we can call a more genuine yes. way. Obviously Verstappen did three times, but that was partly because of the, the way he was fighting with Ricardo. Uh, it goes to show, I think, that it's a small advantage for that McLaren car, which we know paired with the Honda engine isn't isn't the greatest package overall. But when he does have something like all new tires and can really push them, it means he doesn't have to save them so much. With that three stop strategy, which is an aggressive strategy, requires you to pass cars. That package is is slowly getting there. I, I feel like it can't be too long. Hopefully next season, if the new Honda power unit works out that we might actually start seeing that promise delivered upon. I think I just think those res- these results are, are coming more frequently and, and are that impressive. We need stuff for Van Dorn. That's what we're all waiting for. And, <laughs> and I'm sure that the arrival of the stuff will, will also see the glory days of McLaren Honda return. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's what I'm holding out for. I mean, everyone's looking forward to saying the name Stoffel Van Dorn more often because... Oh, yeah, I've been practicing. It's just nice, isn't it? It's just a good name. <laughs> it just it makes me feel warm. It makes me feel like I've just eaten a big Easter, like a you know hot cross bun or something. It's just, it just fills me with a warm, gooey feeling. <laughs> and finally, we've got to we've got to mention Jolyon Palmer, who we had a qualifying performance that said made him depressed. Yeah, absolutely. He's had a terrible, <laughs> almost entire season. Really, he lost what should have been his first points in Hungary because he just spun his car for no real reason. Uh, he <laughs> oh, no, might have no future. There's a rumor he won't be re-signed by Renault and won't be signed anywhere else. But Goodness me, did he have a, an acceptable race? He finished 10th with a one-stop strategy. Hard to soft. Lap 31 was his pit stop. Scored his first point of his Formula 1 career. It does deserve credit. I should have given it a bit more credit than that, but it's good to get his name on the board. Now, finishing in 10th, it's a pun that is too good to refuse. <laughs> Jolian Palmer's presence in F1 is no longer completely pointless. So... Uh, He's done the one-stop strategy. Interestingly, Michael, of the three strategy of the three tire compounds that we had, he did the longest stint on Absolutely. two of the different types of compounds. So not only did a one did he do a one-stop, he was showing everyone else. He was the form guide for everyone else. Here's how long you can make these tires last for. So I mean, he's had a great race. I mean, it's a hot and sticky race, especially in Malaysia. It'll be one now though that he he remembers. He feels pretty good, even with his one point. Mm-hmm. And just to top everything off, my girlfriend said he was a good-looking rooster. So I mean, he's on top of the world tonight. <laughs> He's got it all going his way in Malaysia. He doesn't want to leave. He might not even turn up in Japan. He might just stay here in the paddock celebrating his single point in Formula (laughs) 1. Uh, which is good news for Renault, I suppose. They did every point they can get. It was an interesting Grand Prix. Lots of varied strategy, it must be said, between all three compounds. We're seeing that Pirelli three-compound mm. rule work again. Uh, certainly exciting, given there was no rain. Everyone thinks you need rain in Malaysia to make it thrilling. No, you don't. We had a good race. Uh, moving on to Japan, Rodney. I know, uh, considering Red Bull Racing said after the Singapore Grand Prix, there was no way they were going to win another race because there's no track that suits them as much as Singapore. They've come here and won, granted with a little bit of help. <laughs> 
Do you think we can have another season where Mercedes loses three Grand Prix and could that be Japan, which was formerly known as the home of Red Bull Racing, given how dominant they were there? Look, I mean, that is an exciting prospect. I, I would love to see it happen in Japan. I would love to see Daniel Ricciardo win in Japan. Doesn't that just feel right? <laughs> I don't know how the Japanese will take to the shoe drinking thing. They I think they're more sensible than that. Oh well, they're very polite people and I'm sure they would I'm sure they would not raise any fuss about it whatsoever. <laughs> no, look, I mean, uh I I really hope that we see at least one more race where Mercedes doesn't win if only because it'll keep the championship even more interesting imagine if Hamilton wins the next race and then someone else wins the one after that mm-hmm. or you know maybe in uh, where's good maybe in the, <laughs> the United States I mean I feel like the United States would be one if you're going to win you're going to win there and, and you know everyone loves Ros Ricardo over there they'll be perfectly happy for him to drink out of whatever the heck he likes so um, yeah look Japan I, I feel like Japan though I've always thought of this as a true driver track mm-hmm. and I think this is this has got Hamilton written all over it maybe Ricardo if there's any pace depends what the weather does as well look I mean let's hope it's a hot one let's hope it's a hot one and then we might just get something unpredictable yeah I think that's what everyone will be hoping for there's a lot of momentum behind Formula 1 at the moment after a good race uh, and a winner that isn't driving a Mercedes car so that's always good news and it happened to be Australian <laughs> too Superlicense where can we find it I'm on Twitter at Superlicense you can search for it it's spelt the way that we prefer to spell it <laughs> so put an S and an E at the end there uh, superlicense.com.au as well and uh, yeah everything weird and wonderful and insightful and interesting that's where you find all of our, our F1 insights. Not always grammatical, but always enjoyable. Thank you so much, Rodney Gordon. Most welcome. And that's all the time we have for this edition of The Strategy Report. If you want to read more about the strategy of the Malaysian Grand Prix, go to f1strategyreport.com for Jack Leslie's write-up of all the action from Sepang, or search for F1 Strategy Report on Facebook and Twitter. Did you have to record the Malaysian Grand Prix? You can live it back without missing out on the Twitter experience. Tweewind lets you time shift Twitter and watch it back along with your favourite sporting events. Tweewind is available on iOS and Android devices. My name's Michael Laminato. You can find me at Michael Laminato on Twitter and join me in just one week's time when we look back on the Japanese Grand Prix.